0: And we are here to make the case for two more wrestlers. Ryan, how you doing?
1: Pretty good. Can't complain at all.
0: Well, good. So, uh, now that we got rid of that windbag Ryan Gray, we'll be crisp and (laughs) clean and lean and mean. Yeah. And make a case for the greatest WWE wrestler ever. And, obviously, I'm just kidding. I love Ryan. He busted on me in the last episode, so I'm returning the favor. Uh, But uh, we're here tonight, and we'll... Take it without him. Um and I think this will be really interesting, Ryan, because tonight we'll talk about who two wrestlers that are, in my opinion, two of the greatest North American-based wrestlers of all time. But but we'll have to dive into how much of that is due to their WWE careers. So Ryan, why don't you tell our listeners who you're making the case for?
1: Well, I you know, if this was just G, you know, greatest wrestler ever, I'll A lot of people would have him as number one. I'm going with the nature boy himself, Ric Flair.
0: Woo! And I am making the case for the phenomenal AJ Styles. Uh, So what we do here, if you are a new listener, is we compare each wrestler in ten categories, and we present the case for each. First, we always like to look at the results from the last time we did this, which was in 2017, was five years ago. And in that voting, Ric Flair finished number 23. And something I found interesting is he was one of five wrestlers that appeared on every ballot submitted. Hmm. Yeah, and that, I think that lifted him up a little bit. Uh, AJ Styles finished number 35. Um, on my last ballot, I had. Styles at number twenty nine, and he'll move up a few spots because he's had five years more work. Right, and I had yeah. Flair at number thirty five.
1: So yeah, I was really surprised when I was looking. I had AJ at thirty, and he'll probably move up a few spots. But I don't know what I was thinking. I was not heeding the words of Bobby Heenan, and I was not fair to Flair. I had him at thirty seven, and we could get into why I think, looking back now, I think that is a low low rating for him he should be he will be significantly higher this time around
0: okay well i'm i'm looking forward to you making the case and uh, as i mentioned we have a number of different categories and the first one we have is longevity so go ahead and make the case for rick flair for longevity
1: all right so as many people know rick flair had two pretty distinct runs his first was About 16 months from September of 91 to January of 93. And it is really, he comes in right after Sergeant Slaughter loses and becomes, you know, wants his country back. So he's no longer the top heel. The other top heel kind of act at the time would be the Undertaker and Jake Roberts. But they're not, they're kind of with. Randy Savage, the Elton Warrior at that time. And Ric Flair comes in, and right away, he's... He's... Feuds originally with Roddy Piper, but he's also going after Hulk Hogan right away. So right away, he comes in, and I was like five at this time. I had not seen WCW, but I knew, oh, this guy's friends with Bobby Heenan. He must be important, you know, because Heenan was kind of done managing. So if he's getting involved, it's a big deal. And he's really the top heel the whole time he's there until January of 93. And he loses on, I think it's the third episode of Raw, in a Loser leaves town match to Mr. Perfect. And it's kind of, it's right after the Royal Rumble, and the Royal Rumble kind of set up Yokozuna as the next top heel. So I'd say this whole 16-month run of Ric Flair, he is the number one heel in the promotion. And then he goes back to WCW. Uh, he comes back in November of 2001, after the night after the invasion storyline wraps up, and the guy most associated with WCW comes the night after WCW is officially dead and buried, which makes perfect sense, I guess. And he sticks around from November 2001 till March of 2008 as a in-ring competitor. He'd come back out, uh, a couple times for like more one-off appearances after the, after he retires, he has an actual, he runs as Charlotte's manager for about six months, I think in 2016, but for in-ring, I would say it was about six and a half years. So adding those two together, it's about eight years total. Although the second, the six and a half years, he's not, active all the time I figured it out he wrestled in 38 pay-per-views between 2002 and 2008 so it's about half every you know about six pay-per-views a year so he's not really fully active a lot of the time he's managing evolution and he's got a lot of tag teams with evolution during that run so about eight years but with a caveat that it's not the last half or the last bulk of it is not 100% as an active wrestler.
0: Okay. Um, and for AJ Styles, uh, he debuted at the 2016 Royal Rumble to a huge pop. And he's still going strong today. So we're talking about six years with minimal time missed. Um, so he's got a solid six-year run. He's a two-time WWE champion a one-time Intercontinental champion, a three-time U.S. champion, and a one-time Raw Tag Team champion, making him a Grand Slam champion. When I had done the math in my head, I had them both coming up at about six years. But as you reviewed it, uh, I realized that I forgot to carry the one or something. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so I can see that Flair's got, you know, a year or so more, a year and a half more, uh, whatever kind of when you factor in the times when he was was active so
1: uh yeah i think i mean i think it's probably actually close closer than it is because aj was like you said aj's active the whole time like i don't know how many pay-per-views he's missed but it's very few like he's always on the shows a vocal point and a lot of players later on he's just more of a manager background so i think it's it's actually pretty close if you like want to count like all the matches that they have but yeah flair just has a little bit more overall thing
0: yeah so i'm fine if we go equal sign and i'm fine if you give it to flair
1: no i do think i would say equal sign actually because okay. like we said you know flair might have technically a longer run but some of it isn't as active as aj is
0: okay all right we'll mark that one down for equal and uh then we'll move on to the next category which is charisma so tell us about the nature boy
1: well the nature boy his charisma you know that's i think well known i mean you know i think nowadays if you were to see like a video of his best interviews and stuff most of them would be pre-wwf but you know especially 91 when he comes in he's He's all over the show, interviews on, you know, uh, the Funeral parlor. That's pretty uh, infamous one where he calls out Hulk Hogan. He's given the interviews. He's kind of, his character's a little different than, he's still the nature boy, but he's kind of, kind of more cartoony when he comes to the WWF, just because that's the style at the time. But, you know, could give an interview could sell in the ring, you know, has that in-ring charisma that's also hard to teach. And then, you know, when he comes back in 01, at first he is just a, you know, for a while he's the the, the on-screen authority figure with Vince where they're feuding. So a lot of interviews there. He's able to carry, you know, he's able to do the the 20-minute in-ring interview to start the show. And, especially those early days when he's the general manager of raw or the owner of raw, whatever title they were giving him, I guess co-owner, you know, he could do the 20 minute interview to get the show started, to set up everything that's going to happen during the night. And then going after that, like when he joins triple H starts evolution, he'd always make sure to get his, uh, like if they were doing the whole group interview, he'd always have something to say. Sometimes it was just like pumping up Triple H, but he'd make it entertaining. He'd get people to watch, to listen to him. And then kind of when evolution ends and he's going on his own, you know, he's a lot of his later feuds are with people obsessed with, you know, killing old Yeller and putting him down finally, but he brings good fire there. You know, the the Triple H feud in 05, he's, Really good there, making sure that people know that he's still ready to fight. And then all the way up to his last big angle where it's if he loses, he has to retire. And then he has the big thing with Shawn Michaels where leading into their uh, WrestleMania match. So it's he can cut a promo just about on anything that he needs to do. And he just has that natural charisma that very few people have.
0: Yeah, I don't think anyone would argue that uh, Ric Flair was a very charismatic wrestler. So, um, when I'm talking about AJ Styles, I think he shows far more personality and charisma in his matches by the time he made it to WWE than he did when he first broke in. Which, which of course, I we're not talking about, but uh, I I do think he made a lot of strides, and that he kind of had this reputation as just a work rate specialist because he is. Such a great worker, which I'll talk about later. Uh, But I think he's shown really good charisma and personality, particularly in the ring. You know, he takes you along for a ride in his matches, so you generally know what he's feeling without him overacting. Uh, I think he does show some more fire and wrestles differently when it's personal, like his feuds against Samoa Joe when he's talking about his family or against Shinsuke Nakamura when you know, he was the master of the nut kick. Um, so so I, I do think that AJ may have... You know, I feel like he shows a little more charisma than you might be thinking. And you might typically equate with him. That said, um, I mean, the nature boy is the nature boy. And I do think that his charisma shines through even in his later run. Uh, and even in really most parts of his later run. There, There are times... I think he's really good in that run and times I think he's not as good, but there's never really a time where I don't think, you know, his charisma comes through and, and some of his other skills are there. So, so, I, I mean, I think for charisma, you give that one to, to Flair, unless you disagree.
1: No, yeah, I think Flair. although AJ, I didn't really watch too much. I like knew who he was and I saw a couple TNA matches, but I didn't watch week to week. He did impress me when he came to WWE. He's, had more, charisma. like, you know, if you look at early TNA days, you know, the X Division matches and whatnot, those were, you know, more of just spot, spot, spot matches where now he's got the in-ring charisma, I think, that helps him, you know, plan out a match a little bit better. But, yeah, I think Flair is a clear winner here.
0: Yeah, I would agree. Uh, our next category is Star Power.
1: All right, yeah, again, Ric Flair, like I said, he came in, he's the top heel in 91-92, and that's, you know, that's the end of the golden era, maybe you might say, but still, you know, top, top popularity for a lot of people, like, you know, that was the end of the first big boom, but he's the top heel for that, you know, the 16 months he's here, he's the guy all the time, even SummerSlam he doesn't have a match But he's still the biggest heel involved in that show like Him and Perfect with the Warrior and Savage Match and then When he comes back He's Just by coming back and Coming out it makes it like a huge It's a huge deal that it's Rick Flair like there's very few guys That could have come in And it just established that You know this guy who hadn't Been in the company for 10 years but people knew oh, it's Ric Flair, it's like one of the top three wrestlers of all time, you know. It was his, I mean, he's very, he was always well-known to the point where his matches later on, even when he wasn't in a big-time featured role, it still meant something for a younger guy to be wrestling Ric Flair. I think he... You know, it's kind of hard to even describe Rick Flair's star power. He's, you know, he's one of the people that non-fans know. Like, especially, you know, I mean, he's like a hip-hop figure now, almost. Like, he's you he a 30-for-30, 30 30, you know. He's he's mainstream. And, uh, you know, it's you could say not a lot of that is due to his WWF run, but it's kind of hard when you're parsing a 40-year career well, how much of it was because of WWF? Well, yeah, he might not have had a lot of time there, but that was his biggest, you know, his biggest broadcast.
0: Okay, so so I think that this does depend on how you look at it. Like you were just kind of saying, so that was a really good transition to some of the notes that I had. That I think if you equate the star power to name recognition, then obviously Ric Flair wins in a landslide. Is you know he's one of the most famous wrestlers in history. Um, however, you know a lot of that is made on the back of his work in you know, Mid Atlantic Jim Crockett Promotions, the traveling NWA champion, and then WCW. So, uh, um, if you look exclusively at their time in WWE, I, I think it's much more of a discussion point. And I, I am, I don't know exactly how to dissect that and kind of split that Adam, as to how much was of Ric Flair's star powers due to his time in WWE and how much of it was just because he was already a star. Um, but I will say that, as I think it's a little closer, um, I'll make just make a case for AJ. Um, you know, he debuted to that Monster Pop at the Royal Rumble 2016. So that, it kind of showed that the fans already considered him a star. And from that point on, he has been a star. And similar to Fleur, a lot of that was built on his reputation. Um, but I think I was surprised to see how big of a deal he felt like immediately, how big of a reception the fans gave him. And I, I think that the company was as well. Um, he immediately starts working with Chris Jericho and has a WrestleMania match with him. So that's that's pretty high profile for just being in the company a few months, I think. Right, Yeah. Uh, Post-Mania, he's working with Roman Reigns, the Chosen One, and battling for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship, and he follows that up uh, by a feud with John Cena, and that all that's resulting in classic matches. Uh, since then, he's been a two-time WWE Champion, including a year-long championship run. He's consistently been a main eventer since, and he's someone who can always be believably slotted into the main event. So... I think there is a case to be made that AJ Styles has been a bigger star in the WWE than Ric Flair has been, if you just factor in his WWE career. Um, And and I'm just saying that based on some of that, uh, that second run of Flair, I think it's at least a discussion point.
1: So yeah, it's yeah. With Flair, there are definitely down points for him. Like, you know, I'd say late 02, where he's not the owner anymore, and he's just kind of, like, they really play him off as, like, a sad old man. Like, losing to Rico on I think, is always something that people kind of remember, unfortunately. But but then, like, you know, right away, he's able to turn it around, and he's the manager of Triple H, who's the biggest, you know... Say what you were about, about the 2003 Triple H, but it is the biggest act on Raw. So he's right back to being a, maybe not the focal point, but part of the focal point of Raw. And, you know, there are slow points, but then he's getting, you know, the cage match against Orton, the cage match with Triple H, the WrestleMania matches where he still shines up big. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting case because it's it's hard to figure out, like, well, Flair came in, he was so well-known, but does that help his WWE star power? And it's kind of, you could make the same thing with AJ Styles. You know, he had just been, yeah. he was the face of TNA for so many years, and then he has that great run in New Japan and Ring of Honor. It's like, well, did that help his right. star power? You know, it's kind of a tough one when you're going with guys that were so well-established when they come into the company.
0: For sure. And, um, you know, Jacob Williams has a great podcast here on the North-South Connection, uh, the Ruthlessly Aggressive podcast. Yeah. And so and I know you've been on that, and, I, and I've been on that as well. So he does a good job of covering that, and I think listening along to that podcast, you can kind of see where Flair does have that downtime, and it's right in that O two 2 range. Um, I was at Backlash O two, 2 and he was a special referee, and he oh, was on. Yeah, he was struggling then. But he does rebound, and it is about that time when he joins Evolution. And, you know, he really kind of carries a lot of the weight on the stick, if nothing else. And that's also, uh, I mean, they're very gimmick. I think the past, the present, and the future relies pretty heavily on Flair's star power. Um, I remember someone saying that you could could always cut a promo and say that anyone is the present if they – you say it enough times, and anyone can be the future. You need Ric Flair to be the past.
1: To legitimize so, it, yeah. And to be absolutely. Like, you can't say, well, oh, your past is, you know, pick, you know, I don't know, Bob Orton or something. You know, yeah, that's not that outstanding. But when you have a Ric Flair, well, unless it's Hulk Hogan or, well, that's about it. You know, as far as guys that were as big of a star as Ric Flair.
0: So, I will concede a point, to Flair. Here, uh, I just wanted to at least say that I thought that this one was a little closer, um, and to just kind of say that. I mean, I think that star power is a strength for both guys as well, but I will concede that point to Ric Flair, um, and let you talk about our next category. Talk about Ric Flair in our next category, which is flexibility.
1: Okay, so flexibility. I mean, obviously, you know, I would think not many people would argue one of the top heels of all time, even if you're just counting, you know, the 16 months in 91, 92. It's the top heel in the company right away. Like, it doesn't take him long to, you know, to get going. It's the fans hate him right away. And it's kind of a, of a time where the fans would would get heated up to someone real quickly, but it doesn't take much time for Flair to become the number one heel. And then he could do, you know, that time he's just a heel, but then when he comes back, he's a face because, you know, his first couple months, he's kind of like the respected legend. So that kind of, if he's just kind of doing that without Depending on who he's feuding with, that's going to be a face that we'll get over. And like with we were saying with Star Park, he has the gravity to pull that off because it's true. You know, he should be respected for all that he's done in the ring, at least. And um, then as far as like singles tags, he's the Evolution tag like what is the Evolution tag team with Batista where. I think it's just the one tender tag champs, but, you know, they're effective as it's really the Wiley veteran, you know, teaming and showing this big muscle head how to wrestle, how to get around. And then throughout 04, especially, Evolution would have like almost every other week on Raw, the main event was six man, eight man tag team, some sort of, you know, Evolution versus, you know, group of friends, you know, whoever, mainly whoever was feuding with Triple H at the time, but, you know, whoever Orton was feuding with, whoever Batista was feuding with, they'd have teammates join them and they'd have these great, like, 15-minute great tag matches on Raw, which coming off of, like, 03 was not something you were seeing too often. So it was, it brought a lot of, you know, good matches to Raw that we hadn't seen for a while. And I think a lot of that was due to you know, even though he was older and probably wasn't in the bulk of the match, but Flair would be Flair in those tag matches was good because physically, yeah, he might not be able to do as much as he did before, but now he's, you know, able to use that charisma. He's strutting all over the ring. He's getting the crowd viled up. He knew how to play his role in those tag matches really well. And then kind of Oh five on he's a face uh, like big time face again and there he does a great job as kind of being the old veteran who just won't give up you know those matches with Triple H like I talked about uh, Money in the Bank in 22 you know I thought I thought for sure he was going to win it I was there that night I thought he was going to win it and then Triple H was going to win the title and then Foley was going to come out and win the title to end WrestleMania and then retire but Didn't quite go that way, but then, you know, there's that run in 07 where he is, you know, he's threatened that if he loses, he'll have to retire. And, you know, that gives him huge crowds behind him. They don't want to see him lose. And even his last match against Michaels, you know, he turned Shawn Michaels heel almost, which is quite the the feat to pull off in 2008 because Shawn Michaels was already getting into that you know, living legend status, but people didn't want to see Rick Flair lose. So he was able to play a really good face in that last run also.
0: Yeah. Um so I think that AJ Styles shows great flexibility in the ring. He's been a face and heel as well, which is kind of a challenge as as it sometimes was with Flairs. The fans often want to cheer him. Um he's can be a single or tag worker and one of the things that I think speaks to AJ's flexibility is you can put him throw him into any gimmick match ladder matches money in the bank elimination chambers etc um he can be a leader of a faction like the club I guess um and he can just be literally thrown into a big pay-per-view match at a moment's notice like he was against Finn Balor at uh, TLC 17, you, know, you can work as an underdog. You can do a lot of 50-50 matches, a lot of baby face, baby face matches, you know, or you can can work as a heel. Um, I just, uh, I feel like, and this is, it, it's crazy to talk against Ric Flair um, as a worker in any any way, but the... That late era flair. I, I feel like he's he's just always Ric Flair, and sometimes it's a occasionally it'll be a heel if he's with Triple H, but he's kind of always doing his his Ric Flair shtick, which we all know and love. Um, but that would be my my pitch for AJ on flexibility. So um, we can uh, we can talk it out. We can. Uh, we can split it and you can go with Flair and I can go with AJ or we can call it equal, whatever you want to do.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to think with AJ, like as a face, he's good, like great in the ring, still there and gets the crowd behind him. But it always kind of seemed not hammy, but kind of like, I don't know, not really him, like kind of, playing along to be a good guy rather than actually being a good guy. I don't know. That's just me like his he didn't have the same fire, I think, as a face that he does as a heel. But I could definitely see, you know, what you're saying about Flair, like oh four, oh five, he comes out and the crowd's cheering for him, but then you know when the match gets going, they'll eventually boo just because they're supposed to boo him not because he's really winning them over with heel work. Yeah. So I think I'd probably lean towards an equal, another equal sign here just because it's two guys that know what they're doing. I mean, it's not really a point where you're saying, well, they both suck at flexibility and we just got to pick one. I think it's just, they're both so good at it.
0: Yeah. All right. Um, Well, that's good. I'll put that one down as an equal sign as well. Um, And and I'm always far more concerned over making the points that I want to make and hopefully giving our listeners something to think about rather than keeping the score at the end. Um, But uh, so, and and also hearing the points that you have to make so that uh, obviously Flair is making my list anyway. So it's not going to, it's not like we're working on on the fringes here
1: but uh. right yeah exactly
0: all right our next category is peak moments ryan
1: all right so rick flair you know comes in and uh well even before he comes in really you could say SummerSlam 91 uh heenan shows up at hulk hogan's locker room with you know the paper the sheet of paper taped to the door that says hulk to signify that it's hulk hogan's door even though you don't see him and he's holding the big gold belt the rick you know rick flair's world title and says rick flair is challenging you hulk hogan and then spends the next couple shows talking about how rick flair's coming in and then on a prime time he comes in and it's it's one of the few i think it might be the only 1991 prime time on uh Peacock, where it's all about Rick. it's the Ric Flair hour of prime time. You know, he comes out, he's the guest, he's talking, he's giving his interview. It kind of gets him going in the cartoon WWE version of him, where he doesn't do the suit as much because here he's wearing he's wearing his red robe right off the bat. But then from there, he has. Uh, The classic funeral parlor where he calls out Hulk Hogan, and then he has the pull apart brawl with Roddy Piper from Piper's announcing booth where Vince McMahon ends up getting a chair shot, so that was like a huge deal at the time. Vince McMahon was never physically involved. And then Survivor Series 91, he's the sole survivor. It's kind of a a screwy finish, but then later in the night, he comes out and helps The Undertaker beat Hulk Hogan. And then moving forward to that, Royal Rumble 92. I mean, I think most people, if you're not going to say it's the best Royal Rumble, you got to say it's at least, you know, a top three Rumble. And it is the Ric Flair show. I mean, no heel has ever really given that kind of shine in the Rumble. And it's not, you know, other times you have guys stay in, That long or close to that long. You know, like I'm thinking Rey Mysterio. He's like laying in the corner half the match. Ric Flair, I think every guy that comes in hits at least one offensive move on him. He is the star of that show. Wins the belt. Then going into WrestleMania, he has... You know, it's kind of weird how they they set up the match with him in Savage. And then build the storyline about how Elizabeth was his before he was, she was Savage's, and they have that great feud though. And you have Randy Savage being insane as he usually is when it's about Elizabeth. They have a great match at WrestleMania. Uh, then, like I said, at SummerSlam, he's not the main; he's not in the main event, but he's involved in it, and he ends up winning the title two days later, I think, on a primetime taping in a match that I guess is not viewed highly, but it's still a big moment for him to become a two-time heel. I mean, this was the first time any heel had been a two-time champ, really, if you look at it. And then from there, he loses to Brett, but then he's still involved in him and Savage is still going into Survivor Series it's still the biggest feud. Like, I know Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels is the main event, but, that, really had, barely had a feud going into, the feud main event was, him and, Flair and Razor Ramon versus Savage, and Perfect. And then he has the feud with Perfect, and then, one of the early, great matches in Raw, where he goes, against Perfect, in the, Loser leaves Town match, and, you know, he takes, He takes the fall and loses and goes to WCW and then he comes back. And like I said, he's there the night after the invasion ended. Comes, you know, a big moment for him. I think it's in, I don't think it's, I think it's Greensboro, maybe Charlotte, one of those classic, you know, Flair Country areas. He has the great match at Rumble with Vince, uh, an awesome match with The Undertaker at WrestleMania, really one of, Undertaker's early great WrestleMania matches, including the all-time Arn Ar- Ar- Anderson spinebuster. Uh, from very he kind of plays, you know, his matches, that are okay. Nothing really great for a while. And then I would say the next, you know, big peak moment would be it's a Raw in 2003. I think it's the night after Judgment Day. And again, this is in... I think this one's in greensboro where triple h is told he's going to wrestle the former champion it's not going to be kevin nash it's not going to be Shawn michaels it's going to be rick flair and triple h kind of laughs it off and he's like well yeah Flair's not gonna you know wrestle me and even if he did he's an old man what can he do against me and i remember watching that match and thinking you know 50 three-year-old Ric Flair was going to win the world title. He gets you sucked into that match. He gets, you know, a low blow and a pedigree, and he makes it out like he's going to win. And, you know, in the end, Triple H wins, but it's a great raw match. And then from there, um, his next big-time match, I said, would be probably the Evolution versus Rock and Sock at WrestleMania 20, and that is really the main thing was uh orton and foley but they have like a little sub area of the match where it's rock and flair and it is just awesome like the crowd is going crazy for flair against the rock and they just keep like feeding off the crowd so much it's a great section of that match rick flair goes for the nature boy elbow which of course misses Uh, From there, like I said, he's got a lot of good tag matches in 04. I'm trying to think. From there, WrestleMania, he's next WrestleMania, he's not really in. He's always managing Triple H. Um, 05, not too much notable. He wins uh, the IC title against Carlito at Unforgiven 05, which is kind of an odd footnote that Ric Flair. What is probably the oldest IC champ ever? Then he has the two awesome matches with Triple H at uh, Taboo Tuesday and Survivor Series. Great bloody brawls. And then, from there in 06, he's in the Money in the Bank match. He has the series with Foley that I'm personally not too high on, but they were big time matches for sure. And then he actually wins the tag titles with Robbie Piper at, I believe it's Cyber Sunday in 06. 07, he kind of, 07 is kind of a down year for him going until he leaves for a few months, like in the summer, comes back in November. And that's when he has the storyline where if he, Vince McMahon says, Rick Flair can wrestle as long as he wants until he loses a match. And then, so he goes against a lot of guys in this run. You know, he fights Orton, I think, that night as champ and wins by DQ or Carmount. And then all leading up to his final match against Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania uh, 24, where, I mean, he's inducted into the Hall of Fame the night before, so it's kind of obvious what's going to happen. His whole family's there. They have a music video looking at his whole career, so you could kind of read the writing on the wall. But you know, it's a, it's a really, it's probably not like the best athletic match of Flair's career, but it's a very good match where the story and the drama still make it a great match. So, yeah, lots of Ric Flair, uh, classic Ric Flair action.
0: Yeah, I I agree on that. That retirement match uh, and i also love that evolution rock and sock uh and yeah yes i agree that uh, Foley and orton had the feud but rock and flair kind of stole the show there
1: so yeah still that match it kind of pushed the it kind of made the backlash match me more for foley and orton which probably actually helped that in the long run also yeah
0: agree okay so AJ Styles' peak moments, uh, his debut at the Royal Rumble and getting a big pop. Um, And then he had a classic match with Roman Reigns at Extreme Rules 2016. Then even his first match with Cena at Money in the Bank 2016, that immediately felt like a huge match. And the feud continued through SummerSlam, um, where he defeated Cena in another classic. He won the WWE title from Dean Ambrose at Backlash 2016, and then he lost the title to Cena, who, uh, here. how about this, for a, a theme for the night, he tied Ric Flair for the most world championships with that win, Cena did, and that was his last world title, so that was at the Royal Rumble 2017. Uh, then AJ feuded with Shane McMahon, which culminated in a WrestleMania match, so a WrestleMania match with the McMahon is, uh, is kind of a big deal. Um, he won the U.S. title from Kevin Owens at Madison Square Garden and then traded it back and forth with Owens. He defeated Jinder Mahal for AJ's second WWE title in Manchester, England, and that's the first WWE-recognized world title change outside of North America. Oh, uh, yeah, well, and I'm assuming someone isn't just screwing around on Wikipedia. I'm, I'm taking. Yeah,
1: that. <laughs> no, I, I, I
0: think that.
1: He hit me with the jumper. I know that. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, he would hold that title for over a year. Um, during that time, he faced Brock Lesnar at Survivor Series in a champion versus championship match, and a great match there. Uh, He would face the Royal Rumble winner, Shinsuke Nakamura, in a highly anticipated title match at WrestleMania 34. And he would battle the IC champion, Nakamura, and the NXT North American champion, Roderick Strong, at Survivor Series 2019. Uh, We talked a little bit about that match in an earlier episode that uh, you and I did with Ryan Gray on... um, the undisputed era so if we have any new listeners go back and check that out in the archives um uh, aj would face the undertaker at wrestlemania 36 uh, in the cinematic boneyard match which yep i don't really know what to make of that but uh, <laughs> it is a wrestlemania match with the undertaker so
1: if you like b action movies that's it's for you i think
0: it it felt like uh, like Roadhouse Three direct to video yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So.
1: Exactly, yeah. yeah. I liked it. I don't know. I know people' opinion differ, but I was a fan.
0: Yeah, it was probably better than if they'd have had if Undertaker would have had a a match match. An
1: actual match. Yeah. He,
0: he was looking a little rough at that point. I thought so. Um. Then AJ won the Intercontinental title by defeating Daniel Bryan in the finals of a tournament in a classic match on SmackDown in 2020. And he would win the tag titles with Omos at WrestleMania 37 from the New Day, which made AJ Styles a Grand Slam champion. So as I kind of look at the peak moments, um, I feel like, flares are higher, and AJ has a lot of them, but I also feel like most of AJ's are match-related and related to having a great match, so how you count that matters a little bit. Um, I think that shows up more in things like work rate, and there is one for match resume, so I, I don't know that I would count those twice, and Right, I feel like yeah. Flair in particular, where he, uh, when he debuts, that's a huge moment. Uh, you know, leaving, he leaves, he leaves losing a loser-leave-town match. That, you know, is more of a moment than just disappearing. Uh, obviously, the Royal Rumble, 92, um, his second return, and then his final retirement is a huge match. And that's, you know, that that's all... Because he's Ric Flair and that's all you know. Those are some of those are historic WWE moments. So I'm I'm comfortable giving that one to Flair.
1: Yeah, I think Yeah, like you were saying, when we get to work right match resume, it's I mean it's a lot of the same stuff we just talked about, but that's more maybe to AJ, but with Flair it's like you know Rumble 92, you'll always see the highlights of that. You know, you'll see highlights of AJ's entrance at three or at, oh sixteen, Yeah. Yeah. But like the Ric Flair one is like, you know, I mean, not that this means much, but, you know, if they're doing a countdown show or something, that'll be like number eight and Ric Flair will be number one as far as like, you know, classic Rumble moments, you know. Yeah.
0: yeah and I I think that it's, easily the best Royal rumble match and you can't give Flair the complete credit because it is helped out by being pretty star studded, but it's as close to just a Ric Flair match or just an individual match as a Royal rumble can be. If that makes any sense, he's carrying the vast majority of the weight. I wouldn't, wouldn't argue that at all. Okay. So we'll put that one in Flair's camp and, uh, then we'll talk about storylines next, which is somewhat related to peak moments, but a little little different, so we might talk about that a little bit. So why don't you uh, kick us off with the nature boy?
1: All right, yeah. So uh, kind of like I've said, you know, 91, he comes in, he's kind of feuding simultaneously with Piper and Hogan, and this is kind of Piper's, it's pretty much his return to in-ring action after, you know. I guess he was kind of out from, I guess WrestleMania six, pretty much like at least televised angles, you know, because he's he's hobbled during the DBSC Virgil thing. So it's really pretty big that he's feuding with Piper to kind of bring Piper back into full time action, and then at the same time he's setting up what at the time many people thought it would be the WrestleMania match with Hogan. Or, you know, he's not coming in fighting Hogan right away, at least on television, but he's he's talking to him, he's confronting him, he's getting involved in his matches, and he's you know, and then you go to Survivor Series, he's in he has the match against Piper's team and he costs Hogan the belt. And then at the, the rumble, like I said, he's you know, establishes himself as the top guy in the promotion. You know, he he goes through everyone in the Rumble. And, you know, yeah, sure, Sid, the last elimination, it's not like he does, you know, he throws everyone out, but he, he wins it as fairly as you can. You know, it's a Royal Rumble. There's no, he wins it cleanly pretty much. And then from there, he, well, it looks like he's going to fight face Hogan. They even announced that first, but then Hogan gets into the, feud with Sid, and uh, Savage is inserted as the number one contender. They kind of end the Jake Roberts-Savage feud that morphs into the Undertaker Jake Roberts, so then Savage starts his storyline with Flair, and it's kind of like, as soon as it's announced that it's Savage, you could kind of almost imagine you know, Flair, Perfect, and Heenan getting together and being like, okay, what do we do to get Savage off his game? And they, they do 1992 Photoshops where there's pictures of Ric Flair eating strawberries with Miss Elizabeth by the poolside and watching TV with her. And then, you know, Savage is nuts. He comes out of that match, wins the belt, and then they continue that feud for a little bit. With the Elizabeth story, but then real life interjected where Savage and Elizabeth were actually getting divorced. So it kind of morphs into, you know, Flair screwing with Savage to throw him off his game to Flair wanting his title back to Flair. You know, the mind game changed from him and Elizabeth to, you know, it's him and Perfect are working, trying to think that Warrior and Savage are, you know, each sold the other guy out have perfect in their corner and then that feud goes on so he's still feuding with savage but then he wins the belt from savage and laser comes in and razors kind of feuding with savage then and then they have the kind of out of nowhere Bret Hart win the title and it's kind of odd you know i i mean i was six at the time so i don't recall it greatly but i remember like it's kind of like it doesn't affect Ric Flair, that he lost the belt. He's still feuding with Randy Savage. You know, he's. That's still what he's worried about, and he does. They have the prime time where Savage kind of flips the tables on Flair and Perfect and Heenan and plays the mind games with them. Having Flair or announcing that. Uh. Perfect is going to be Flair's part, or is going to be Savage's partner. Matt ends up turning Perfect face. You know, it's his first match in over a year, so he comes back. And then the feud kind of Savage kind of fades from that feud. Razor kind of branches off the Bret Hart, and it's Flair and Perfect, and that you know, as I said, led, leads to the Loser Leaves Lose Town match. And then in a one, when he comes back, he's got the feud with Vince. And that kind of bears off into the feud with Undertaker. And then when he's the owner of Raw, they kind of try to recreate the Austin vs. Authority figure where Ver turns heel. And some of it's good, but then when they get the NWO involved, it's just kind of ridiculous. And then it kind of got good again towards the end of, I think it would be in the beginning of June when they have it be Austin against Flair, Eddie, and Benoit, but then Austin walks out, and then they kind of have to shift really quick. Flair, the next, that night, I think, they change it from Austin versus Lesnar to Ric Flair losing ownership of Raw to Vince McMahon, and then Flair turns face, and Harry kind of struggles a little bit. This is where it's kind of like, They really want to get across that he's a broken-down old man. You know, he loses kind of infamously to Rico on Raw in, like, a three-minute match clean. But then it's all leading up to Triple H calling him worthless, but then it was a swerve because Triple H, Ric Flair reveals himself to be with Triple H. He's his manager. Evolution happens. You know, he's kind of, like I said, with the Evolution feuds, he's usually... It's not really him getting in feuds with people, but he's involved in all of their feuds. Uh, He has a little feud with... He has a great one-night storyline where he challenges for the belt against Triple H, but I think the next week, they kind of have him turn against Michaels right away, and he's back with Triple H. And then he's with Evolution for a while, up until 05, kind of dissolves when... Triple H goes away for a while. Batista's turned face by this point. Uh, Flair gets in a feud with Carlito, wins the IC title. Then Triple H comes back and turns on Flair. And then, kind of the next year, any you know feuds with Edge, feuds with Foley. Uh, I'm trying to think. Oh seven. Oh, 07, It's that's kind of a down period where, like, he's teaming with, with Carlito and the uh, the pre-show of WrestleMania. And that's kind of, like, where... I know it's kind of been a point, like, you know, if you're using Ric Flair, he probably should be putting over people at this point. But if you're going to do it, don't have a... He shouldn't be in the opener pre-show battle. royal. You know, he should either be... A, important part or having being a manager or something this so this storyline i would kind of ding him for and then he kind of goes away and then in 07 though he comes back at the end and he's got the really great storyline for every match he has to win and again that leads up to his retirement so all of his storylines i think there's outside of like the latter half of his second run before he gets into that last real good run that's kind of where he's falling like by the wayside i think like they really didn't they didn't want him not to be on the show but they didn't want him to be a focal point and that's kind of where maybe they should have thought of something different to do with him but otherwise most of the time his storyline is a focal point of the shows which i think you know is fitting for rick flair
0: Okay, um, well, I, for AJ Styles, uh, his storylines were, you know, after he debuted, he forms a tag team with Chris Jericho and Y2AJ, and that <laughs> was, they, they formed a tag team so they could break up and feud, which they right. did, um, and then that included a match at WrestleMania 32. Um, following that, AJ wins a number one contenders match to face Win Reigns at Payback. And then they had a rematch at Extreme Rules in two great matches. During this time, he's formed an alliance with Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson. So they're now known as The Club, playing off their past in the Bullet Club in New Japan. So AJ's turned heel in the process after he kind of initially did a a deal where he denied the alliance like the club would come in and attack Roman and he would play it off like he didn't know they were doing it or it was, he always had his back turned or or something like that for some plausible deniability. Um, then AJ attacked John Cena on his return to law to Raw and that led to a match Money in the Bank. Uh, and then he is, he teams with the club uh, against Enzo and Cass and Cena at Battleground and then he defeats Cena in a classic at SummerSlam 16. Um and that win over Cena puts him back in the title picture and he defeats Dean Ambrose at Backlash in September to earn his first WWE title and he retained it against Ambrose on SmackDown and Cena and Ambrose in a three-way at No Mercy. Uh, he continues feuding with Ambrose, who was the guest referee in a non-title match where Styles faced the skinny dweeb, job-earning James Ellsworth. Uh, and uh, Ambrose no attacked him. What's that? With his great finisher, the no-chin music kick. Yes, the no-chin music. So um, so Ambrose keeps messing with AJ. He attacks him and, and fast counts him when he's the ref, uh, giving Ellsworth the win. Uh, and then Ellsworth gets a championship match the next week and he wins by DQ. And later, AJ would face Ellsworth in a ladder match for a SmackDown contract, um, which Ellsworth then won with Ambrose's help. And Styles, you know, kind of snaps and puts Ellsworth out of commission with the Styles clash to the steps. Uh, but Ellsworth returns at TLC turning on Ambrose and giving Styles the win since he'd beaten him three times already. And then AJ beats Ellsworth in like less than a minute in their title match to kind of end that chapter. Um, he eventually loses the WWE title to Cena in another classic at the Royal Rumble 17. And then he begins his feud with the SmackDown commissioner Shane McMahon. So that results in a match at WrestleMania 33, which somewhat sadly, maybe AJ's best WrestleMania match. Uh, And then following the match, he shakes hands with Shane, turning face again. So, Uh, and then he begins feud with Kevin Owens over the U S title, winning it from Owens at Madison square garden in July of 2017. And then he lost it back to Owens at battleground and regained it on SmackDown in a triple threat match, also involving Jericho. And, and, then he retains the title again against Owens at SummerSlam 2017. He began a feud with WWE Champion Jinder Mahal in October and defeated him in November on SmackDown for his second WWE title in Manchester, England, as I mentioned. Um, and as a result, he replaced Jinder in the Champion versus Champion match at Survivor Series and faced Brock Lesnar there in a, in a great match. Um, He then lost back-to-back matches against Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, which leads to a three-way match at Royal Rumble, where Styles retained, and he again retained in a six-pack challenge against Owens, Zayn, Cena, Baron Corbin, and Dolph Ziggler at Fastlane. Uh, The Royal Rumble winner, Shinsuke Nakamura, chose to challenge Styles at WrestleMania 34 in what I think was a good match, although a slightly disappointing match and AJ retained. So Ryan Gray and I talked about this during a previous episode where we talked about uh, Nakamura and uh, I talked about William Regal as well. But when we were talking about Nakamura, uh, we mentioned that we think that the crowd was just cooked by this point. It was a really long WrestleMania and Ryan was there and he, said that that wasn't in the case the crowd was just burned out by that point and that hurt the match uh, because i don't think it's a bad match by any means so. right i think it's yeah
1: burnout and also it's not a bad match but it's one of those matches that they're trying to uh, live off the of classic they had in new japan two years earlier right. I think. so i think that's kind of like you know people had seen that match and they were expecting that match again and it's it's not a New Japan match. It's a WWE match, right. which it, it's going to be, but I think, yeah, we'll, we could talk about this later, but I think AJ kind of has problems with people build up how great a match is going to be. And sometimes it doesn't quite hit that.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, during this feud with Nakamura, Nakamura turns heel, uh, perfecting his nut kicks, like I said before. And, uh, styles would retain his title at the greatest royal rumble backlash and money in the bank in a last man standing match and he would become the longest reigning wwe champion after defeating rusev at extreme rules in july Uh, becoming the longest reigning champion at the time Um, he then had a really good feud with samoa joe who brought aj's wife and kids into the feud you know threatening to become their new daddy and uh, Styles won by disqualification at SummerSlam, uh, retained in this weird pin submission BS finish at Hell in a Cell, and then would defeat Joe at Super Showdown and Crown Jewel. Um, but I thought that was kind of a heated feud, which isn't always the case uh, with some of the the other feuds. Wendy!
1: Wendy! <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Um, Next, Daniel Bryan earns the number one contender role, and he faced Styles on October 30th, SmackDown. And uh, Styles retained, and with that, he eclipses the one-year mark as champion. But he would lose the belt when Daniel Bryan turned heel with a low blow in their November 13th rematch on SmackDown. And that kind of kicked off the Daniel Bryan Planet's Champion run. Styles would challenge for the title at TLC and lose in a great match and again at the Royal Rumble 2019. Uh, he was in the Elimination Chamber and got eliminated by Randy Orton, which resulted in a feud in a, in a match at WrestleMania 35. He was then drafted to Raw and earned the number one contender and challenged Seth Rollins for the Universal Championship at Money in the Bank, losing in a good match. Uh, He had a rivalry with Ricochet over the U.S. title, uh, joined forces with the club, now called the OC for Original Club. So quite the original title there. Uh, So he's again a heel, um, and he won the U.S. title at Extreme Rules and retained it at SummerSlam against Ricochet and against Cedric Alexander at Pleasure Championship. Survivor Series, uh, this was where he faced Nakamura and Roderick Strong in that three-way that we talked about. And then later, he would lose the U.S. title to Rey Mysterio on Raw. In 2020, he began a feud with The Undertaker, losing to the Deadman in a gauntlet match, and then Taker interfered and cost Styles a no-DQ match against Aleister Black. So that caused AJ to challenge undertaker to a match at wrestlemania and as we mentioned this was a pandemic year so they did the the boneyard match cinematic match um he aj would then take a month or so off and uh, came back to smackdown entering the ic title tournament and that's where he defeated daniel bryan in the finals of the tournament in a great match he retained the title against a variety of challengers before losing it to Jeff Hardy on SmackDown. And then at Clash of Champions, Styles lost in a triple threat ladder match with Hardy and Sami Zayn, who won that match. AJ was then drafted back to Raw and debuted a new bodyguard, Omos. He would captain the Survivor Series team to victory before moving on to challenge Drew McIntyre at TLC. At WrestleMania 37, Styles and Almost won the tag titles from New Day, and the team would feud against New Day, Viking Raiders, and RK Bro, losing the titles at SummerSlam to RK Bro. And then Almost turned on Styles in December, turning AJ face once again. Uh, he then participated in the Royal Rumble and the Elimination Chamber before accepting an open challenge from Edge for WrestleMania 38. He would lose that match and feud with Edge's Judgment Day group before they turned on Edge. So there's kind of a lot there. Um, I kind of feel like my pitch for AJ on storylines would be that he was he's always been a prominent part of the show and been in a story been in a top storyline and there's not really much downtime. Um and so he's he's kind of always had something going on. Uh I think Flair's great storylines are better. You know, his top storylines I I wouldn't, you know, I would say are better or more engaging. I think that his first year, that's he's always, you know, he's the focal point of the show for that year. Right. And it's just a little less so in the you know, the tail end would be, you know, that would be my pitch for AJ, you know, in here. And I might be more inclined to uh, to go an equal sign or at least, you know, to pitch that this is a lot uh, – this is a close category.
1: Yeah, my only argument against AJ would be – and it's not really his fault. It's just kind of the promotion since well, – even before he came in, since, you know, maybe – 2010, 2012, you know, pick when you want, but his storylines are mainly, like, you know, his title feuds are, I'm the champ, or I want to fight the champ. It's not, I mean, I know he had, like, the Joe storyline, and, you know, he has feuds, but not, he doesn't have a lot of, like, classic blood feuds, you know, like, it's not, and it's a lot of series, you know, three series of matches, you know, rinse, repeat, you know, okay. And then it's just the storylines aren't really storylines. It's more, it's just setting up a series of matches. Whereas Flair, especially that, you know, his first run, it's, you know, him coming in and challenging Hogan because he thinks he's better than Hogan. Him screwing with Savage's head and, you know, being pissed off at perfect is daring to fight him. You know I think with Flair, the storylines are clear. With aJ, it's more like the matches kind of come out. if you do you understand what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, and that I would argue that maybe even is a longer period of time because I think that Flair falls victim to that in his second run up until the point where his he's in the storyline his retirement storyline yeah that's true. so so yeah you'll get no argument from me that the storylines of modern wwe are not particularly strong i mean i think that's a that's a complaint many have had with the, the company for some time so yeah so i think uh, i give a slight a slight bump to player here I don't know. yeah i think well that, again that uh that 92 run is hard to – it's hard to argue against much that happened in that run. Yeah,
1: that's – you got – like, if you were just saying, like, okay, what heel, had this, you know, it's him. It's not him versus – you know, like, you know, Savage's run in 89 is great, but it's him versus Hogan. Here, Flair is the focal point. I know Hogan leaves in April, so that opens it up a little bit. but. You know, I think that's the difference. Whereas, yeah, you know, I mean, it's no fault to AJ. By the time he came in, you know, he's the focal point of SmackDown, and he's the champ. But they weren't making anyone bigger than the show. But by, by that point, right?
0: Yeah, and again, that uh, that one-year run for Flair is an all-time classic. It's, I just, you know, I will be careful not to extrapolate that. The work in that one year over an eight year career because I don't feel like that second. and and I know that's not what you're saying. That's just uh, it, you know, that's just something that when I'm ranking him overall, it'll be that one year and then how I weigh the rest of it. but but I will give the slight edge to flair in this uh, in this category. Uh, and oh and, so the next category is promo skills. So uh, go ahead and, and take it away on Flair, on promo
1: All right. So, again, with Flair, promo skills, it's just, you know, again, I'm not trying to think too much of his overall stuff, but that's it's kind of hard to separate. But even with WWF, you know, his, the 91, 92 run, he's, he carries the promos, you know, he's, Like, when he faces Hogan in the funeral parlor, it's him talking almost the whole time until Hogan tries to say something and then The Undertaker comes out of the casket or wherever he was. And, you know, it's just kind of like he's always giving these interviews. He's always, you know... I mean, it was a different era back then, but, you know, he'd have... You watch the Superstars every episode, he's going to be having a talking head video. You know, he's giving his thoughts and who he's feuding with, why he's the best. And then even when he comes back, you know, physically, obviously he's not as good as he once was, but he can still cut promos. You know, like I remember when he was feuding with Vince, when he first came back and he's like, starts punching himself and opens a little cut and talking about how, how dear Vince McMahon think he tell he could tell Ric Flair how to wrestle, and it just he brings that fire and passion when he wants to. I mean, even you know, like later in that first in that second run, some of the matches and feuds aren't great, but he'll still give like he gives a big speech to Carlito in 2007, where like Carlito's not watching the matches or something, and Flair gives this huge fired up interview, like he's still getting, you know, his matches might not, his matches had gone down, but he could still make storylines seem important because of the way he could just cut a promo and make people pay attention to what he's saying. Like I said earlier, you know, the, the old yellow promo right before the Shawn Michaels match, like it was already one of the featured matches for that wrestling, but I think a promo like that kind of made it be one of the, I'd say it's probably the second biggest match at that WrestleMania behind a Big Show match, crazily enough. But, yeah, I would say just promos, Ric Flair can cut a promo on just about anything and make it seem important.
0: Yeah. So, uh, Comparing AJ Styles to Ric Flair in promos. So I would say AJ is a competent promo. Uh, I don't think he's the best in the world. I don't think he's the smoothest talker. I don't think that he's making your list because of his promos. He, and he's definitely going to lose out to some of the, the top promo guys like Ric Flair. So um, and this is where I mean, I, I have been a little critical. Um, or at least skeptical of some of the later run, I don't think that's the case with his promos at all. I think he continues to add value to the company overall through his promos um, and and some other you know some character work. but I think he he carries a lot of weight for evolution on the stick because um, so I think there are times when triple h will go out and he'll do his promos, which i Am not a fan of at all, um, but then Flair can sometimes save the day by, you know, doing some of the talking
1: for the yeah. faction. Triple H so. will talk for ten minutes, and then yeah. Flair just gets two minutes, but he like redirects it and makes it seem important. You know, like even you know a feud against Scott Steiner or Kevin Nash, it seems important because Rick Flair cares about it. Is able to yeah. get, get back on track.
0: Yeah, and of course the topic for both of them has to be how great Triple H is because well, that has to be every promo. But uh, we're getting off track there. Um, Ric Flair would win the promos. I would the- not. Uh, wouldn't debate that at all. So, um, moving on, our next category is character work.
1: Yeah, and character work. I mean, that kind of goes hand in hand with promo skills, but, you know, just here, seeing character work, the first thing I think of is, not probably you know Ric Flair's best thing, but I think of the WrestleMania 21 promo where Triple H is giving the Braveheart speech and Ric Flair is carrying him along and, like, come on, champ! We're going to WrestleMania! Like, he's given these goofy things to do and it still fits with his character, though. Like, he's... You know, his character changes, especially the second run from evolution on where he's triple H is like, I think originally it seemed like a lackey, but then it, it morphs into more of like, he is his mentor. Like he's telling him how to do things, how to, you know, how to carry yourself as the world champion. Not not just the guy who's holding the title on wrong. He's, you know, right guy or not, it's the triple H show, but Ric Flair is, you know, kind of like we said with promos, he's the driving, he's the steady force there, and he's kind of keeps things on pace. And then, you know, going back to this first run, the character work is, like I said, it's not, it's kind of weird that he, he avoids, he avoids the suits and, you know, the alligator shoes, but he's still the nature boy, you know, he's, you know, he does have that one the one interview I always think of is at WrestleMania 8 where he's like on the tarmac giving an interview coming off the lair jet you know he's still the nature boy he's you know he's richer than anyone you know not richer than you know he's rich he has fine women you know the limousine riding he gets more into that kind of in like his later 05 run I think i like well in the evolution of that kind of Into the feud with Triple H in oh five oh six, and then he kind of the character kind of shifts more towards like respected legend towards like the end of his career.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that it those two things kind of morph together in that all the you know limousine riding, jet flying, stealing, wheeling, dealing, a gun. I, when he was doing that outside of WWE, that was a big heel act. It was kind of I'm, I'm better than you, and I'm you're beneath me, and it morphs into this endearing characteristic of well, he's the old man still doing it, and I, you know he he's a guy that lives the gimmick for better or worse, but, uh, but that's a whole other. That's a whole other discussion that we're not talking about on this podcast. So, um, as far as A j Styles goes, uh, I think his character has been good, as I mentioned earlier. I, I think he shows more personality and just has a more complete act, uh, things like his mannerisms during his entrance, just the way he carries himself. he He looks like a star and he acts like a star and and he is a star. and now, when you get into the comparison with the nature boy again, I I think that's a better character. I just think this is one of the times when he gets a lot of credit and equity from that work elsewhere, just meaning that the character was already established in a finished product when he came to the WWF. And especially when he returned that second time. Right. Um, and, And again, I don't know exactly how to split that Adam. Um, other than uh, and at this point I think I, I would point out that we're talking about 10 categories. Um, those are all kind of subcategories of the in NJPW system that we kind of want to use as our guiding light for making the list and those are nuanced. So that would include your, your flexibility, um, your longevity, um, just doing some of the little things, um, your jump up moments, so your peak moments, um, promos, and promos and character work uh, fall under the P, so it, it's not just for promos, which is not important for Ric Flair, who's very strong at them, but it is important for someone like Shinsuke Nakamura, who English isn't even his first language, you don't just get destroyed there, so, uh, and then the w for work rate and what we'll talk about that uh, here in the next categories and i kind of bring that up simply to say because i'm uh getting skunked here when we go through sections one by, you know through 10 different categories um but some of them that were equal or closer uh would uh you know would kind of even itself out um you know so i could justify having the rankings you know however I would determine them, and you know as as we'll talk about here in the, in a bit. Um, but uh, and i and I say that again as I'm going to go ahead and throw another point on Rick flair's pile here and and I'm just saying that is how I can justify having a j higher on on my list despite getting <laughs> getting skunked here in the <laughs> on the scoreboard right now. so. Um, I think you might get something
1: here, though, in this next category.
0: Yeah, we're we're getting to the parts where I'm gonna gonna at least make some pretty strong cases. Um, the next one is work rate, and by that, um, that's kind of the we usually talk about the actual in-ring skill, kind of the the inputs um, as far as what someone does in a match, as and it may or may not influence. The output of it being a great match or not so so tell us about Ric flair's work rate in the right. wwe so, i mean
1: this is definitely one
0: where you could probably say there's i would say
1: more than two maybe like three different stages of Flair. like 91 92 he's you know despite I'm not gonna get into the thing, bret hart versus rick flair you know discussion on psychology and stuff like that but I mean, Ric Flair, Heal, Ric Flair in 1992, the best workers in the world. You, know? I mean, you could say the matches are repetitive, but they repetitive because they work. They follow a strategy of usually working the knee at some point or and cheating a lot, but it works. It worked years before WWF. It worked for years. After this first run, it works in WWF, you know? He's the heel technician who also cheats as much as possible. Like, there's sometimes he doesn't even to cheat just to do it. And then, in, oh, I would say, like, 02 through probably, like, 05. That first big few with Triple H. He's kind of... That is more of, like, just playing the head, you know? He's going to... He's gonna to go to the top rope and get the rope. He's gonna do the flare flip. He's gonna orphany at one point or another. He's he's gonna take a back body drop. He's gonna right on the ground and say, "Oh God, oh God." He's he does his spots where he needs to, and again, and here he you know picks up the cheating a little bit more, you know, more low blows, more pokes to the eyes, and then starting in 05. The Triple H matches, I are the first one that stick out to me. He becomes almost like a deathmatch wrestler for a little bit. Like he bleeds a lot. Like I know he bled at WrestleMania eight. So that's the beginning of him, Blair H- or him and Bret Hart having feelings against each other. But you know, I mean, oh five and oh six, he's just like in all these different hardcore matches where it's kind of a thing where like can't have, you know, a 20-minute classic technical match, so he's going to do whatever he can to keep people invest. You know, I'm thinking of the Triple H match, the cage match, the match against the Big Show for the ECW title where he gets thrown onto the thumbtacks and stuff. It's like, that's an odd turn for Ric Flair, you know. And then the feud with McFoley where you know, they're trying to take each other's eyes out of you know, and then kind of, you know, because, like I said, he's much less gifted physically at this point. I mean, he would have been, like, oh six, 06, he would have been, what, 40? No, 56, 56. So, I mean, he's getting up there in eighty, So, it's understandable that it changes the style, but it's not as athletic as it was. And then oh, the late 07, 08 run, he kind of, Force back into, like, the o two o five one one where he's playing the hits. But also, I think he kind of got into the mode of, this is my last run. I'm going to try and go out as best I can. And it works. I mean, you know, like, I know in the last match against Michaels, they kind of, he can't do the bridge-up spot. It's kind of like a sign that, yeah, it's kind of retiring.
0: You know,
1: we're not going to talk about him having... Passing out two times in a match at age 75, supposedly. But I think his work rate, he adjusted to what he can do at later later stages. And he makes it. He's most of the time, though, it's always engaging enough to the crowd that they're into his names. I will say that, but even though it might not be. Know a peak athletic performance. It's always going to have the crowd into it, which is part of your work. How much the fans care, but but move for move, it definitely slipped towards the game. Yeah, um,
0: yeah, he he definitely had some different uh, kind of some different styles, and you know, to some degree, you know, that's largely to his credit because he did kind of evolve and. I think this is going to be a strength for both participants. So, um, as far as AJ, I mean, he's phenomenal. It's right there in his name, the phenomenal AJ Styles. So, I I think he does a great job of using his incredible moveset and athleticism uh, that he's been evolving kind of throughout his career and using it within the course of a match that makes sense. So, By that, I mean that I don't feel like he has to get his stuff in, but he uses his strength in, like, believable ways. So, like in the Joe feud, he's in this hate-filled, you know, blood feud, and he's he's in a, you know, a hate-filled match, but he can only brawl so much because of the size difference. He can't use his size, so, but he can show that he's super pissed off by, Hitting a flying phenomenal forearm through a table and things like that. So, um, and I do think he's able to wrestle differently from just a technical match that's like a babyface, babyface match. So, um, I think strikes are good. The kicks always look good. And like he's just really so smooth executing all his moves. So, whether that's like a mat based rolling through to the calf crusher or like being really precise with that moonsault into the DDT that he does. Um, but I think, you know, his real strength, he really makes his bones as a high flyer. And, you know, I feel like there's this, there's something about all the the really special high flyers. They have this little bit of extra hang time, just making things look different. So like Evan Bourne, Paul London, uh, Dante Martin in AEW today, and young Rey Mysterio there's just something about it. It just looks different. So, and and AJ has that and he's been doing it so long that it's incredible. Um, And he's kind of, he's evolved his act like Rey Mysterio. So, you know, he's not as young and he doesn't fly maybe as much as he once did, but he's, he's kept the things at work and kind of evolved that. So, um, he's retained some of his skills, like the phenomenal forearm, the, the springboard 450 for example um i also think that aj does a good job of telling a story in a match i think his facial expressions tell that story and i think he's typically good at pacing and escalating at just the right time uh, his matches with cena are a good example of that i think they all felt like huge matches partly because of the novelty and the star power um, but I think Styles and Cena both knew how to kind of let things build. Yeah. And I mentioned this under flexibility, but I think he can work any type of match face versus face, work underneath as an underdog, really kind of work great heavy moves, you know, matches with a lot of moves with a guy like Rollins, singles, tags, ladder matches, elimination chamber, cinematic matches, I guess. So, and, and that wasn't bad either. But it's just. Anyway, um, I just think AJ is one of the elite workers of all time, um, as Ric Flair is. But I I would give this one pretty solidly to AJ because I think he's uh, he's retained a little more of that work rate heavy style into his WWE career. Yeah, I
1: would I would agree. I think it's kind of. You know when you're comparing uh like baseball players we'll talk about oh you know if you're comparing two guys from different cities talk about oh what did they do their thirty kind of you no know, it doesn't really match up except like flair's 92 compared to like aj's 2007 they're roughly the same i think that kind of what hurts players so much of entering time
0: obviously, a lot of criticism. Yeah, and it, you know, you, you can't, if you're talking about overall career, you, you can't argue against Ric Flair's work rate. That would be insanity, so. Right. But, all right, we're down to our last category, Ryan, the match resume. So tell us about Ric Flair's WWE match resume. All
1: right, so again, 92 Rumble is I'll just go through the the big ones. I mean, there's plenty of four-star matches. I'll try to hit the four and higher. So, the Rumble, WrestleMania eight versus Savage. Um, I would put the uh, 92 Survivor Series tag. I really, really like that match. And then the Raw match versus Perfect. And then when he comes back, I really like the Vince match at the Rumble. I think it's it's kind of like, you know, that and the Holgan match are like two of the best Vince matches where he's just, he's so cartoonishly evil. Like, taking the picture while Flair's bleeding and then giving the camera back to Flair's daughter, it's just a great act. And Flair, it's kind of, it's Flair's first match back, and he, you know, he... He shows up. I mean, obviously, he's going to be more athletic than Vince McMahon, but it is what it is. And then the Undertaker match at WrestleMania is really good. And then, like I said, that Raw match in May of 2003, I mean, that was a point where I was pretty much checked out of Raw. I'd watched SmackDown, but Raw was getting to the point of, like, not watching. But I... I think I just happened to watch the opening interview that hooked me for the show and I watched you know a great raw match, which was few and far between at that point. And then from there, his neck he has a match with Michaels at Bad Blood O three, which is it's okay. It's kind of one of those things like, Oh, I wish there's a couple of them where it's like, Oh, I wish Flair was ten years younger from this. Like that would have been something, but even that considered it's still Pretty great. Um then for the we mentioned the rock and sock versus evolution, that uh the WrestleMania tag match. And then oh five, I think would be like if we're talking top line matches, both of those triple H matches, which are just incredibly brutal. I mean it was still TV-14, so they had these bloody matches every once in a while, but this was, like, taking it up a notch. And it's one of the few times where, in the last man standing match, a sledgehammer shot seems fitting, like, because he, it's over after he hits him. I think he hits him with, like, two or three pedigrees, and it player keeps fighting up, and then he just hits him with a sledgehammer, and that's the end. And it's not, you know a chamber shot that results in a two-count. It's a chamber shot that Flair does a stretcher for. Uh, going into 06, you know, I think he gets some credit for the Money in the Bank match at WrestleMania 22. I think is the star of that match, but probably number two would be Flair. And then the match with Foley at SummerSlam, I'm not a big fan of it. I think that is one of those times where mcfoley i love him but sometimes he envisions a storyline that no one else kind of is being told about yeah that was the
0: first that was the first time i remember like he'd talk about it in some of his books and everything before that i'm like yeah i see where you're going and even if it didn't happen i see what you were thinking and like i don't see what you were thinking here and that would
1: yeah and like like him and melina mentioned that screen i don't think
0: i mean I wasn't watching every Raw then, but I don't
1: remember like that being a big relationship that they just kind of assumed people would know about that. He was friends with her backstage. Right. And Flair yeah, puts in a good performance, but it's also kind of weird because Flair's kind of acting like a heel, even though he was the face in the feud. It's just an oddly put-together match. And then from there, oh seven, nothing really too hot. And then oh eight. Well actually late 07, the first match in his I have to he has to win every match storyline. The match with Orton and Raw was really good. And then in at WrestleMania 24 or yeah, 24 against Michaels is a great match like we talked about earlier.
0: Yep, I would agree. Okay, so um Going through AJ Styles' match resume, uh, I did the same thing. I included four-star matches. I, I'm quite sure I missed some because I there was I had a list of ones I wanted to rewatch I just couldn't get around to. Um, I just looked at some of the, uh, the Dave Meltzer ratings. I don't necessarily always agree with those. I don't take him as the gospel truth, but he's given AJ at least one four-star or above match every year he's been in the company which I think is, is kind of an impressive feat. Um, but the rankings that I have and the great matches I have are against John Cena at the Royal Rumble 2017. I had it five stars. Uh, against Cena at SummerSlam 2016. I had it four and three quarters.
1: Yeah, against we had Rome. both of those. There, Those, were, those are great. Man. There's
0: no doubt yeah. about it. Yep. Um, I had Roman Reigns. Extreme Rules 2016 match at four and three quarters. Those three matches had made my uh, GWW match list. Um, and there are others that might have made it, uh, had, but they hadn't happened yet. So uh, the next one on my list was the AJ Styles, Daniel Bryan SmackDown match from 6-12-20. I had it, that one at four and a half. Um, the Brock Lesnar Survivor Series 2017 match, I had at four and a half. Uh, then it was another Daniel Bryan TLC 2018 that I had at four and a half. Um, then I think the John Cena Money in the Bank 2016 match, that was better than I remembered. It gets a little overshadowed by the other matches. I had that one at four and a quarter. I had against Dean Dean Ambrose in the TLC 2016 TLC match. I had that one at four and a quarter. I really liked his match against uh, Finn Balor, and Balor was the demon for that match at TLC 2017. I had that at four and a quarter, and that was um, that was a kind of a weird pay per view where it seemed like everything was going wrong. I,
1: yeah, everyone's injuries. Yeah, like measles or mumps or some weird. Yeah. Lion and things, I think.
0: Yeah, I don't remember what it was, but yeah, AJ had to come in, and I think he was overseas. and I, I think, on like,
1: came like, yeah, either Europe or maybe even like Asia. It was something really crazy. He was on a plane for like 12 hours or something right before the
0: match. Yeah. And the commentary talks a lot about how these two had never met in a match they you know were former uh, they'd both been in the bullet club, but they'd never faced each other and they you know, kind of tore the house down. Uh, I had the payback sixteen match against Roman reigns at four and a quarter as well uh, and that one was one where they just kept restarting, which normally that is i like I just hate when they do that normally, but I, I kind of thought they pulled it off, and they they sort of used those restarts to escalate the match a little bit. Usually it's the kiss of death, but I, I thought they were able to kind of overcome that nonsense. So, um, He had a match against Seth Rollins at Money in the Bank 2019 at four and a quarter, and I'm not the biggest Rollins fan either, but I, I thought that worked, and that was kind of during his burn it down, you know, brief time when he was kind of working as a baby face, like where he was being pushed as a baby face and it seemed to be working. So he'd just beaten Brock and they had a really good match. Um, I had the Samoa Joe match at Super Showdown at four. So you know, I love that feud. Um, I thought that that match. by the time they get to the Super Showdown match, they kind of had escalated the match enough match the feud, although I think they kind of were leaving something, holding back a little bit as, you know, to tell the story on some of the earlier matches. He had another match against Dean Ambrose at Backlash 2016 that I had at four. This um, match against Shinsuke Nakamura, the last man standing match at Money in the Bank 2018, so the last match in that feud. I had that one at four as well. Uh, and he faced Rusev at Extreme Rules 2018, that I had as a four-star match. Uh, match against Seth Rollins uh, this from this year, from June 13th of this year, that I had it for as well. Um, and there was a three-way with uh, Drew McIntyre and Riddle from 628 of 2021 on Raw. That I had it four stars. And a Smackdown match against Dean Ambrose, on January thirty first, twenty seventeen. That I had it four stars as well. So, I I would not do this type of math. But if anyone were to take someone's entire career and figure out kind of their batting average on star ratings, um, which I think like Aaron would do on the year that was. And uh, I think JT and Marcus do on uh, War Wrestling Above Replacement. Uh, So those are two more shows you can listen to on this feed. I think they do that. And I think anyone would take someone's whole career. um, AJ Styles might be a contender for just having the highest batting average. Because I do think he has opportunities to have some really great TV matches to go along with some some high profile pay-per-view matches. So I would also lobby to have the work resume go in favor of AJ Styles on this one. I just think the volume is there.
1: Yeah, I think
0: if like,
1: so we gave Flair the peak moments. I think just so this is kind of just looking at the matches and kind of like you said, if you just took them all, added them all up and round up the average, I think, AJ would be higher just because, you know, Flair has not stinkers, but you know, like O six versus manga, it's a squash match. And then, you know, if we just said all their pay per view matches, I agree. I think AJ would be a little bit higher.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, I think he's higher. I I would put a bit more of a uh, of a gap there. So I I think Flair's that 91-92 run is is an all-time year uh, but I just think that uh, I think he didn't have as many of those opportunities and and you know to have those great matches in the the second run right okay, so flair does win this one handily. Um, I believe that I had flair having taking six categories, two being equal and AJ taking two categories. Um, and again, one thing that I don't know how to, I mean, this podcast just doesn't uh, take into account is if some categories are won very handily, you know, and, and how you weigh that is up to everyone's discretion. So, um, but with that said, I think we have completed another episode of making the case. And I, I hope that we've made some good points for each of our candidates uh, Ryan is there anything else that, uh, that you'd like to plug
1: uh, yeah and the place to be nation wrestling network the original I am uh, I put out a podcast each month with my wife it's called with this ring she when we started she hadn't seen much wrestling but now we're three years in so she's seen quite a bit but Right now we're doing we're doing kind of like deep dives on one person at a time in the GWWE category, and uh, later this week I think the Mick Foley one will be coming out. So we watched a lot of Mick Foley, which interestingly enough we got to the Ric Flair match, which she was very confused by. So I think that's <laughs> kind of that kind of plotted my thoughts on that. Like she was like, "Wait, who's this?" Like. Who's Melina? Why is she coming out? Yeah.
0: Yeah, we were all confused by that one.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't just having watched that match in a vacuum. It's kind of odd. But, yeah. So, that is what I am going on. I pop pop up every once in a while on uh, different shows in the the aquatic stars here and there.
0: Yes. Yeah, there are a number of great shows on the north south connection where you're listening to this and uh, as you mentioned the place to be nation wrestling feed Uh, there is a place to be pop feed as well Uh, and uh, Jennifer Smith has the has her own um, kind of sub feed I guess the Jenny position and does most of her stuff on north south connection as well Uh, I think it's on Wednesdays but uh, if I got that wrong I'll apologize Jenny but um, we are continuing to, you know, do this series of podcasts, and we will have more later with, uh, with Ryan Gray as well. Kind of the three of us will usually rotate, and uh, we're enjoying going through this project, and we'll look forward to doing more at a later date. So take it easy, North-South Connection.